0: Just as, you know, just as maybe the disciples walked around thinking, why do you have to go? And I would think the same way. Like, wouldn't it be better to, to have Jesus hanging with us? Like, imagine the, the boldness and the unity and the love and the exuberance that we'd have all the time if Jesus were with us. So why did you have to go? And really, as we look at the ascension today, I hope that we get an appreciation for why it is... That Jesus had to go and what a wonderful thing it is that he ascended. As we prepare to read this, pray with me. Father, here we are, disciples of Jesus. Here we are looking at our brothers and our sisters on these pages, this bit of a time capsule that you captured for us through the Holy Spirit, through your servant Luke, so that we can have easy access to this, so that we can see with clarity the way it was in which our brothers and sisters lived out the supremacy, the sovereignty of their risen Jesus, of their ascended Jesus. And I pray, God, that we can really recognize how it is that we are to live out a life with an ascended Jesus as our Lord. Oh, please, God, help us to be nothing less than captivated by the truths that you lay out here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. And so Luke writes, and, and again, some of this introductory matter we've already covered and it'll be in our podcast If you ever want to subscribe to our our podcasts, you can go to any sort of a podcast app. If you don't know what a podcast app is, ask your grandchild. They'll be able to help you. And then you just search for Hampton Roads Church. And we've got a variety of podcasts on there. Genesis, Ephesus, Luke, many. Luke would be a good one perhaps to even bone up on a bit as we get ready to jump into the book of Acts. And starting next week, we'll have a podcast on the book of Acts. Here we go. In my former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Not all the things that Jesus did and taught, but all the things that he began to do and teach. Thus, in his ascendant state, he continues to do so through us. Praise God. Until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's the ascension. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Luke uses very deliberate technical language here in the presentation of himself and the convincing proofs that he writes that this is a rock solid airtight case for not only the death and the burial, but the resurrection and even the ascension of Jesus. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. This is the only place where we have in the scriptures knowing that Jesus spent 40 days in his resurrected state prior to his ascension, spending time with his disciples, teaching them, equipping them, but also preparing them for the ascension. And what did he do? He spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift my father promised. And we already know from Luke 24 that that gift is a a giving of the Holy Spirit unlike ever before. So wait for that gift, which you have heard me speak about. And he did speak about it, especially not only in Luke 24, but especially in John 14, 15, and 16. And if you want to have a good bit of background to help you, just even in the pregnant wording of this passage, read John 14, 15, and 16 to appreciate all that Jesus spoke to them about about the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, for for them, they already had some deep preconceptions in mind about the kingdom. Matter of fact, much of their life lived in hopeful anticipation of the kingdom. And we know that at the launch of the Gospels, especially John 1, we see that there was a messianic fever that gripped this whole area, wondering, could this be the Messiah? Could that be the Messiah? And so now, having been presented with convincing proofs that Jesus is the Messiah, of course then for the disciples, they're thinking, well, this must be it. Mm -hmm. It's time for the new David. It's time for the new conquering righteous king to usher in. A season, no, even more than that, an epic, a, a, a continuation of righteousness that will sweep through the land, throw off the yokes of oppression, but also throw off the yokes of oppression of sin as well. That was their anticipation. And even more than that, the other thing that they, they anticipated based on Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36, they anticipated that that with the coming of this new David, with this Jesus that has come more than eclipsing all that they had imagined even in David, that finally, when the kingdom comes, all the tribes would be united. Because, you know, at this point in time, only the tribes of Judah, the, the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, are remaining. The 10 northern tribes had been scattered and never brought back again. They are out among the nations. So the 12 disciples are anticipating that the 12 tribes are going to come back. Why? Because Jesus said, you're going to reign when the kingdom comes. In the fullness of the kingdom, you're going to reign over the 12 tribes. That's why there are 12 of you that are my apostles, that I have chosen, that I have designated, and that I have prepared through the Holy Spirit. And now they're thinking, now's the time. Perhaps now when all the tribes will gather back together again, And they will begin to actually reign with Jesus and be able to fulfill those places. So, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That would have been in their mind. And by the way, Luke is the only Gentile author of the New Testament. And it's astounding, and I think even convicting to me, how steeped he is in a knowledge of the Old Testament. Because everybody that he writes about, everybody that he travels with, their understanding that which has informed their conscience is the Old Testament for us to really appreciate what it is to live through the book of Acts would be to know that their understanding God all came from the Old Testament and left them in a constant state of amazed anticipation of what it is that God was about to do, as so much was about to be fulfilled and seemingly was being fulfilled. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And verse 8 has often been declared the outline of the book of Acts. The prologue of the book of Acts of sorts. Because the path of the book of Acts makes its way from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And ultimately to the very ends of the earth. Come on. And it begins though with the power of the Holy Spirit. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. Imagine that. He's on the Mount of Olives. Taken up before their eyes. "...and a cloud hid him from their sight." (laughs) We've got the the different versions of Jesus' last words. Luke talks about him saying, "And, "...and this message you will go and you will proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations." Matthew says, "...go," just before Jesus ascends, "...go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything." And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. With, with each of those different angles on what it, were Jesus' amazing last words in the flesh, he is then ascended. I don't know if it was fast. I don't know if it was slow. I don't know how this would But I know that he ascended and it gave them a chance to gather and to watch and to see him go up and disappear into the clouds, as it says. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently. I bet they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so here they are now ready to launch A world-changing movement. This is their last contact with physical Jesus before he ascends up. And somehow or another, these ragtag men bumping into one another, messing up, hearing Jesus say, How long are you going to put up to you? Are you still so dull? Again and again. Now all of a sudden they go from that state to leaving this and heading into the world like thunderbolts ready to change all of humanity, and they very much do so. It's not like a maybe, they did. And how is it that all of that change could be affected? Well, I think when we understand the power of the, of the ascension, we'll start to get an understanding of how it is that this is our benefit as well. But to, to, to recognize this, I wanna look at not just the ascension, but in a sense, I'm gonna look at, I think it's eight different, Observations about the advantage of the ascension. Right. Now at home you're saying, oh, eight points. I'm glad I'm wearing just my pajamas for this. These are just eight observations. We're like, you know, we'll be we'll be skipping through these things. It'll be rather amazing. Come on. But, but to the to the advantage of the ascension. Now, advantage, wait, what do advantage of the ascension? Because I, I think I really feel a kinship with Mary when she sees the risen Christ. And as she sees him in the garden, she grasping him is the the Greek word. She's like holding on for dear life. And Jesus says to her in John 20, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, I think I would be more like, no, you're not going anywhere. (laughs) You're staying right here. Please, you're back. You've risen. All was lost. Everything's back. This is amazing. I mean, who wouldn't think like, oh, yes, now we have the resurrected Christ that we will now follow and that we will proclaim and we will now be sent out by him as we were with the 70 earlier. And oh my goodness, how, how amazing will this be? And, and yet Jesus says, no, 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 you don't, you don't get this. You, you don't want to hold on to me. And, and it wasn't the fact that, oh, my, my, I'm holy, don't touch me. Because just 10 verses later, he's going to say to Thomas, hey, check out my hands. Why don't you stick your finger right here into the holes? How about my side? Stick your hand right. Yeah, yeah, get, 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 a, get a good bit of your hand in there. All right, you see? Yeah, yeah. So this is not an issue of, oh, don't, don't touch him. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is, do not try to hold me back mm-hmm. from what I'm trying to do for you. Because you're not actually going to have less of me, Mary. You're actually going to have yeah. more of me. Mm-hmm. If you can just let me go and finally know the fullness of what it is that I want to bring to you. As a matter of fact, to, to the disciples right before his death, burial, and uh, resurrection, as I mentioned, a John 14, 15, and 16 study would do us well. But there he says this, this uh, very famous phrase, It is to your advantage that I go away. It's to our advantage that Jesus ascends. And the reason is, he says, is nevertheless, he says, I've said these things to you. Your sorrow has filled your hearts. And this is the Last Supper, intimate time. Of course, they're feeling that way. And he's saying, I'm I'm leaving you. But I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will then convict the whole world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Again, the advantage that he explains to his disciples is, is rather thorough throughout those three chapters of 14, 15, and 16 of John. And one of, the, one of the big things, though, is is that by him ascending, he then sends the Spirit of Christ. Uh, we'll look at that, of course, in a moment. So let's look at these, these eight observations. Number one, it means limitless Jesus for us, and through us. The ascension is not so much a loss of his leadership, a loss of intimacy with him for James, John, Bartholomew, Andrew, Philip, Matt, Mary, Thomas, but it is, it is actually not even a lack of protection, but it is an infinite magnification of all those things. And then what Jesus was limited when he decided to humble himself and take on flesh, All that he deliberately decided to limit himself with is now limitless. As he cosmically reigns over the universe, he now has unfettered power to be able to now encourage, protect, uh, guide, and, and have a deep intimacy with every one of us. It's not limited by a physical body. It's no longer limited by the attention, you know, the, the, you know, nobody can double uh, no, no multitasking supposedly uh, so even for Jesus when he was in the flesh he couldn't multitask right? he couldn't have that great conversation with you and with Jeff all at, this, at the same time uh, and, and so he was limited by that in the flesh no longer now according to Psalm 139 his thoughts for you outnumber the grains of sand of all the seashore and geologists estimate that number to be 100 billion times 100 billion Right, so Kelly said, that's Jesus's considerations of you, mm-hmm. as he, in, in his limitless state, exalted to the right hand of God, now has, has that. Uh, in, in John 14, in that kind of famous section that I mentioned, he says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, as it's listed here, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. It's easy to say that, but do you believe this? Question. That even greater works than what Jesus has done, that we will do. Not because we're all that, but because Jesus is now limitless. Because Jesus is now exalted. Do you really believe that? He actually says, for whoever believes will do the works that I do. Actually, even greater works than I do. That's, that's Jesus' great desire. He goes on in verse 15 says, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit of truth, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You want to have more Jesus in your life? Well, align yourself with his will. Do his commands is what he says. You want to know what it is to have perfect, wonderful, unison, unity with Christ? You want to know the power of a locomotive? Well, don't try to run across the grass. You want to know the power of the locomotive that is the Holy Spirit being able to empower us? Well, then get on the tracks. A train is not free if it's not on the tracks. But a train on the tracks is of unfathomable power. And that power is ours. But not if we're on our own track. Not if we're on our own medium. The only medium in which the power of Christ is able to have its limitless work in you is on the medium of being alignment with his will as seen in what he (laughs) commands us. That's the beauty of of the clarity of the Bible, is we get to know exactly what it is that we are to do, and when we align with that, oh my goodness, the power and the speed by which we're able to do those very things. So, number one, limitless Jesus. The, The second advantage is it celebrates his full coronation as king. It is the moment of our great joy. It is the moment of the disciples' great joy. You know, there are so many times where they would have been in conflict in the temple courts. So many times where they wanted to be able to put the bumper sticker on the back of their cart, my rabbi can beat up your rabbi. And so many times where they thought, yes, I I think Jesus did just then, but you know, there probably was lingering doubt, but no more. Now they know, wait a minute, not only can my rabbi beat up your rabbi, My rabbi is the king of all rabbis. My rabbi is the king of all creation. The ascension is not just the idea of walking up steps or going up into a cloud. It's it's easy to think of ascension in terms of the uh, kind of the, the, the GPS coordinates, you know, suddenly having greater elevation as you as you gauge him. It is not just spatial ascension. More importantly, it is the ascension of authority. Someday, when Charles takes the throne in England, what are we going to say? That he ascended to the throne. And in uh, Westminster Cathedral, there is a a bit of a throne there, right? And you've got to walk up the steps and and go to that. But it's not that you walk up those steps, right? It's that you actually have ascended to the throne. And and thus, Jesus has not just kind of gone up into the clouds. That's sure, that was pretty cool. But, you know, that's one thing. But he not just went... he went to the right hand of the Father. He is seated at the seat of the greatest authority. The right hand of the throne of the Father, that's the, the, the place of the Grand Vizier. That's the prime minister. That's the one who actually runs everything in a kind of an earthly kingdom standpoint from a first century perspective. And so now that is where their Jesus is. It's like, our boy, our boy is there. Like the, the, the guy that hung with us and ate with us and drank with us, that, he's there. Praise God! Like when, when you're a faction and all of a sudden your faction wins all and your leader is now the king of all things. My goodness, what an amazing time of joy that that really is for you. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, verse 9, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, as we as disciples of Jesus, we shouldn't, like, lose that wonder and lose that beautiful, uh, and not just anticipation, but acclaim that our boy is on the throne. Like, we're lined up with, with the king. We're, we're not in some sort of an opposition. We're not the bad guys. We are with Jesus And he is the one who reigns cosmically and forever. For the disciples, imagine the joy that began to spring within their hearts, knowing that their Jesus is actually the king. Amen. Amen. Thirdly, the ascension signals his powerful defeat of Satan. In Ephesians 1, (laughs) starting in verse 18, Paul writes that he hopes that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened. I'm starting in verse 18 in my reading to the Ephesian Church. Why? So that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. By the way, we talk about this a lot, but I can't get past the word hope without making sure that we don't think of hope the way that English speakers say the word hope. Because in the biblical times, hope had nothing to do with hedging your bets, with any variations, without without any possibilities. Hope was rock solid, guaranteed. Hope was such a certainty of future events that it was joy injecting and anxiety abolishing, life changing. So much so that perseverance was nothing more than mere prudence because hope was solid. All right, so now that I've said that word, (laughs) that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, that he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And here's what I want to focus on here. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That in Ephesians is always a nod towards power, authority, dominion, of anything darkness, of anything evil. And the affirmation here that Paul is saying, that as he was raised and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, the ascension, that that places him far above any pretension of authority, power, or dominion, and above any name that would be named. In Ephesus, they would name the names of different demons to try to cast out demons and try to exert different uh, 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 power over, over different um, spiritual powers there. Uh, so that was kind of a, a big thing for them. Jesus is now above all of that. Jesus drops propaganda leaflets on all of that mess that tries to set itself up as something of, of, of a heightened authority. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Matter of fact, also in Colossians... He says, Jesus has canceled the record of our debt that stood against us. He has set it aside, nailing it to the cross. In Colossians 2.15, it says, He disarmed the rulers, the authorities, and He put them to open shame. Rulers and authorities in Colossians, same thing as Ephesians. He is referring to satanic forces. He has disarmed those, those evil forces and put them to open shame. He has triumphed over them by the cross. And so the great frustration of, of the disciples, and even for us who, who now follow Christ, the great frustration of battling in a spiritual war, and for sure, Ephesians 6 tells us that we are in a spiritual war, that he, we can take heart, that in this spiritual war, there already is a victory proclaimed. And while the victory has already, but yet not yet, been realized, what I mean by that, the already, that Jesus has already conquered the grave. Jesus has already ascended. Jesus has already set up the place of authority. But the fullness of that that will be revealed at his second coming is not yet. We are in the kingdom. He is the king. This is the reality of our lives. But the complete fullness of all of that won't be realized until the end. And in between, we've got some work to do. Uh, verse uh, uh, Point number four, or observation number four. In Ephesians 1, it also made a mention there uh, that I wanted to continue with. And it begins in verse 22 of Ephesians 1. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Not not that he made him head of the church, but God, the Father, gives us as the head of our church, the head of all things. Like, how cool is that? Not just some schmo who, you know, kind of walked in from stage left, but the ruler of all things is The head of our church. Praise God for that. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so that we're not just simply some kind of gathering social group. We are the body of Christ. We are the manifestation, extension, the doing even greater things in this current age as we wait for him to come. We are the body of Christ. Given that privilege, that significance, we don't have lives of quiet desperation, we have lives that matter. We have lives of significance, the greatest significance on earth are our lives. All of that is affirmed in the ascension. Fifth observation, he sends gifts to equip the church. Having established the church, having given Christ as the head of the church, then Jesus also makes sure in his ascension that he makes sure that the church is fully equipped. In different offices of leadership to the church, he makes sure that those are in place. You know, sometimes Matt will say to me, you know, I struggle with the idea that maybe I'm like God's gift to the church. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe let's look at this scripture. And, and here in it Ephesians, was, I'm, oh, sorry. Maybe it wasn't Matt. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, okay. In, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Okay. Fair enough. In Ephesians 4 verse 9, it says, in saying he ascended, what does that mean? That he also descended to the lower regions to the earth. Some people ask, does that mean he went down into Hades? I don't think this is talking about Hades, by the way. I think it just means that Jesus was enthroned on high. He decided to humble himself, according to Philippians 2, and came and lived among us and took on flesh. So he descended here among us. So what does it mean that he ascended? Except that he also descended to come here and hang with us. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That Jesus is serious about the church, and he wants the church to thrive, and he wants the church to be equipped, and he wants not just the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to be equipped. Matter of fact, he doesn't want them to be equipped. He feels as though they already are. He's already equipped them. That's part of his gifting. But now that he's kind of equipped them, here's the gift that he gives to the church, that they now pour themselves out to equip all the saints, all the disciples for the work of ministry. If you're in the body of Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're not in any way on a determinate, deliberate, intentional program to get equipped, my goodness, stop right now. Put a big check box that is not checked on your piece of paper, and say, make sure I get a plan for getting equipped today. This is God's will. This is how we become the body of Christ. This is how we do even greater things. This is how the Spirit who empowers us is able to work through us all the more powerfully, is that we're not just kind of aimlessly going about this, but that we realize the magnitude of what it is that we have, the significance of what we have, and that we get real about getting equipped to do that all the more, all the more effectively, because it's the most important thing that we could ever do. Uh, Observation number six. He's got our back in heaven as our priest. You know, it's nice to know that he's already defeated Satan because Satan is the one that is constantly doing what? Accusing you. Accusing me. You a little bit more than me. But nonetheless, he's accusing. Some people listen to those accusations a little bit more clearly. Other people are a bit deceived based on some real dysfunction in their, their childhood, which we really can't get into at this moment in time fully, to really understand why those accusations don't kind of stick at all. But nonetheless, he's already, (laughs) all right, let's talk. But nonetheless, Satan has already been defeated, and so his accusations are hollow, shallow, vain. But more importantly than that, the other thing that Jesus is doing right now is that no matter what the accusation, and no matter what, not even accusation, no matter what the real messes of you, he is making intercession for you continually before the Father. Part of the reason that he has gone into heaven is to be your high priest. Uh, here's, here's Romans 8. I love Romans 8 on this. Who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Intercession shows him not just to be kingly, but also to be priestly. As a matter of fact, that's what Hebrews 4 calls him. Since then, we have such a great high priest, Hebrews four fourteen to 16, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, and yet he is without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. He is continuing, Hebrews nine twenty four. he is continually appearing on our behalf before the Lord. Even in times of real, real transgression on our part, real sin on our part, not, not just accused sin, but even in real sin, guess what is happening in your life? The ascended Jesus is allowing you to still approach the throne of grace with confidence. Yeah. The ascension, oh, big deal. Uh, seventh observation, the Holy Spirit. Boom, right? The Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament and did Powerful attesting work through them. And we're, we're going to have more than a few lessons on this because the Holy Spirit is a, such a big deal in the book of Acts. Amen. But the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus on the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7. And on the last and greatest day of that feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I'm reading from John 7, 37 to 39. Whoever believes in me, a scripture that said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. That's important that John writes it that way. For as of yet, the Spirit had not been given. That means that everybody up until this point in time had not yet received the Holy Spirit. You pick them, no matter how deep and amazing and wonderful they are, including up to John the Baptist. They had not received the Spirit in this way. Had the Spirit come upon them and done a testing work? Yes, but not in this way Because it says, for as of yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Glorification is just a synonym for his ascension. At Jesus' ascension, something happens that makes this covenant so marvelously transcendent, better than the old covenant. And it is the Holy Spirit. It's why Jesus is able to say, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than... Than John the Baptist is greater than any prophet that, that precedes, because John is greater than all the prophets. So maybe we could kind of brainstorm now who you think might be the least in the church, least in the new covenant uh, we, we got, uh, of who that would be. I, you know, we could take names and kind of do some brainstorming and then maybe deliberate and come up with who might be like the least, who's just like the weakest brother or sister that you know. Maybe just like the uh, the, the absolutely, I mean, it's just the, the worst stumbling block of a brother or sister that you know, right? So that, okay, I, I don't did you guys all hear that? All right, well, fair enough. Then you're going to point that way? All right, for, so, so let's say that you've got that person in mind. Maybe it's you, maybe it's me, but nonetheless, you've got that person in mind, and let's say it's me. Well, here's the coolness, is because of the ascension of Christ, I'm greater than John the Baptist. I know it sounds crazy, right? But no matter who of you could come here that is really in Christ, in the New Covenant, with the Holy Spirit, you could push me aside and say, I'm greater than John the Baptist. We could have a whole kind of cavalcade of, of, of mess to come up here and say exactly that. Like, how cool is that? That's the power of the ascension. Mm-hmm. Is that Jesus having been glorified, something that the Old Testament figures longed to see Hebrews 11 and 12. They longed to see because they never received what was promised and only through us are they made complete, uh, the end of Hebrews 11 says. Wow! Um, And then, and we'll talk more about the Holy Spirit throughout this. Finally the ascension launches us on the mission to proclaim our king. There's a lot of things that Jesus does better in heaven. And we've just looked at those things. A lot of things that he does better in heaven. Uh, especially since he is limitless. As a matter of fact, he probably has has basically said that he does everything better from heaven than he does from earth, but yet he did make sacrifice for us on earth, and praise God for that. But everything else, he does better in heaven. Sometimes I wonder, why don't we just get taken right up into heaven? Because we would do everything better in heaven that he tells us to do. And and a lot of the things where people say, well, maybe this should be the focus of the church. Maybe we should just be all about worship. Maybe we should be all about singing. Maybe we should be all about honoring God. Maybe it should be about just unity. Maybe it should be about um, uh, just loving one another and loving God. Maybe it's just you deepening our faith. All of those things you could do better in heaven, every one of you. In heaven, faith becomes sight. In heaven, you're going to sing like the angels. In in heaven, worship is just going to be part of uh, our our, our knee-jerk reaction to the beatific visions that are going to become before our very eyes as scenes of bliss forever new rise in succession to our view. All the things that we could possibly do that have been commands by, by Jesus, we're going to do better in heaven. But there's one thing, just as Jesus did one thing better on earth, there's one thing that we do better on earth, and thus we remain on earth. Obviously, we do. It's God's plan. He leaves the church on earth as, as he reigns from heaven. And what is that one thing that we do better on earth? We proclaim our king. Mm, come on. We proclaim our king to those who need to know about him. Uh, and that's what is launched at the ascension. That's why they become thunderbolts launched into the world, changing the landscape of humanity forever. Because they realized that this is what they are now called to do. This is the great significance. This is their reason for being. This is their great mission commissioned by the king. And in in the first century, if there were a new king that was ascending, the thing that he would do is send out his heralds all to the corners of the kingdom and proclaim, there's a new king. There's a new king. Time for us to, to rally into alignment with the new king. And, and likewise, this is what the apostles, I think, appreciated that their job was. Like, oh my goodness, we have the honor of proclaiming there's a new king. And, and so they went, this is your honor. Mm. This is why you are here still. Yes, you're going to worship and praise and love and unify and all that sort of stuff. But what is the big thing that the ascension has activated in the disciples then and even for us? Is to go and proclaim. Proclaim the new king to proclaim Jesus with all that we've got, with all the certainty that his convincing proofs have have brought to us with all that he has done for us to be able to make the great charge of our lives, to make the, the great exuberance of our lives, the great energy, the great agenda, the great affiliation, the great affection of our life to be, to go and proclaim the new king. This is what we get to do. We have lives that matter. We are in alignment with the great cosmic plan of God The ascension makes all of that clear. We are empowered to do so through the Holy Spirit. We are clarified to do so by the commands of Christ. We are motivated to do so by the reigning of our King, by the intervention that He's made in our lives. We are are certain in in doing so because of the hope that not only as He rose, but you know what? Just as He went up, He's going to come back. Mm -hmm. And when He does, it'll be too late then, by the way. So until He does, let's proclaim Him! But that's the beauty is that we live in that hope that he's coming back. And just as as he went up, so one day he will come back and everything that he has done for us will then be realized of like, Oh, praise God. Praise God that I responded. But also praise God that I made every effort to proclaim that king wherever and whenever I was able to do so, so that everybody had the greatest chance, so that we would do even greater things than Christ, so that we would be in alignment with the work of the Spirit, so that we would be on the tracks, allowing the locomotive power of the Holy Spirit to really bring us into a place of of freedom and unfettered uh, effectiveness to be able to do the work of God. My goodness, for for, for all of us, as we begin the study of the book of Acts, let's get on the tracks. Let's get clear about our King, Let's get ready to change the world. Amen. 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 Hey, this concludes our, our church service. So're we're, we're, we're now there uh, yeah, we go. We're now out of here. Anyway, great to hang with you all. You can find out anything more from um, our sermons and stuff at Hamptonroadschurch.com. Uh, and also on our website, you'll be able to see a lot more resources than that.